Well, this morning we get the pleasure of welcoming to Walloon Lake a longtime friend of ours, chaplain of the Detroit Tigers uh, through SCORE Ministries, Chaplain Jeff Totten. Would you give him a warm Walloon Lake welcome? Appreciate you. Hey, good morning. It's always a joy for uh, me to be here at Walloon Lake, and uh, thanks for the invitation to be here. Uh, Our ministry, uh, you guys partner with us through giving, through prayer, and we certainly thank you for that and appreciate it so much. I'm uh, grateful for Jeff Ellis and uh, Denise, and uh, pray for all the best for them. I know they're away, and hopefully they have a great time of rest and recovery, but I really do appreciate uh, Jeff as a pastor, a teacher of the Word of God, and a man of God, and so uh, this uh, friendship here, we really uh, appreciate very much. Carla is not with me. Our youngest daughter's getting married two weeks from yesterday, and so she's uh, uh, up to her elbows in uh, uh, altering a dress and uh, working on that, so she didn't make the trip up today uh, with me. I'll give you just a few quick updates. I like to do that when I'm here. We had a great year with uh, guys around the team. For those that may not know, we have ministry to the Detroit Tigers, and uh, the players coaches the organization but then really right on down through the minor leagues as well. And so um, this last year, one of, one of the players lived with us, a single guy, young guy, uh, kind of breaking into the big leagues, lived down in our basement. So it was wonderful to have that time with him, a young believer in Christ. And then uh, we saw a player and his girlfriend uh, come to Christ this year. Uh, so in August, one of our players was doing a Bible study throughout the year with us. But I wasn't sure of his genuine uh, understanding and faith in Christ. And so uh, one uh, particular day, he was the only guy that could meet with me. So we met at my house, uh, kitchen table, uh, started the study. And I loved what he said. This is what he said. He said, so I get God, but where does Christ fit into all this? And it was such a great question. And so we went through a little book that I have, and there at the table, uh, he prayed to receive Christ. And he said, hey, you got to talk to my girlfriend, who I had met and uh, knew. And so about a month later, a little coffee shop in Royal Oak, uh, sat down with the two of them again, and uh, she came to faith in Christ. So really cool to see that young couple uh, at the beginning of their life and their journey uh, both make decisions for Christ. Amen? Um, And then um, uh, one of the things that we do in the winter, we really try to stay connected. None of the guys really live around the Detroit area in the off-season, mostly weather and where their homes are, and so they're scattered. But we have a group of 15 guys, uh, players at the big league level, AAA level, or the AA level, and we're on a group text uh, for the month of January, uh, reading through a chapter of Proverbs each day, and then different guys will write a little challenge from that chapter. So it's a great way to lead in to a spring training when we'll go to Florida uh, in Lakeland uh, for uh, about a month and uh, really engage guys in person, uh, again, with the Word of God. On the table in the back there, every year I try to bring up uh, some baseball cards that we print up, and on the back of the baseball cards are players' testimonies of faith in Christ. And so take as many of those packets as you might like to, uh, they're wrapped up in a little gospel track that explains what it means to be a Christian. So if you uh, have a friends at work, and neighbors, grandkids who are into sports, especially the Tigers, uh, grab as many of those as you'd like. 
the cards there are one of Willie Horton, Old Time Tiger, and then uh, Kerry Carpenter, uh, Will Vest, Current Tigers, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, and Michael uh, was with us last year, uh, halfway through the year, got traded to the Phillies. If you don't know Michael's story, Google him. Uh, Michael came to Christ on a beach in Southern California uh, as a teenager, a guy on the beach preaching about Christ. And uh, so if you Google Michael Lorenzen, there's a couple different videos out there, but try to find it. And then a second video about Michael is uh, one that the Tigers put out last June about his relationship with his father. And so you Google like uh, Michael Lorenzen Tigers Father's Day or something. Two really powerful videos. And so I really challenge you, watch it yourself, uh, watch it as a family. Um, hey, I appreciate your prayers. Uh, for me, I, nothing major, but I've got a little nodule on a vocal cord. And so they'll try to get me in for surgery. I'm not so much concerned about the surgery. It's hard to get a date. That's the hard part. And uh, so pray for that to happen sooner than later, if you would. Hey, we're in the book of Colossians. And uh, I've really, I've listened to the messages the last two weeks uh, that Brand preached and taught. I know he'll be back up next week. And we talked in the fall about going through the book together. And then when I came up, I would just slide into uh, whatever chapter was there. So we're in chapter 3, a book of Colossians, chapter 3. And one of the things about Paul's letters, not all of them, but most of them, most notably Romans, uh, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, uh, and here in Colossians. Uh, most of the time, Paul would write, and in the first part of the letter, he would give doctrine, uh, what we believe. And then the second part of the letter would be about our behavior. And so that's how Colossians breaks down big picture. Uh, the first two chapters really focus on belief. Uh, chapter one was uh, Christ is complete. Uh, Christ is everything. Christ is all. Uh, last week, the second chapter was about how the Christian is complete. And so now in chapters 3 and 4, it really moves from belief into, okay, how does our belief affect our behavior? And that's really important to know. Because as uh, followers of Christ, believers in the Word of God, it's not just about what we believe up here. It's about how it impacts it here and then impacts our daily life. So chapter 3 today and then chapter 4 next week really take it from belief into the realm of behavior. Uh, and so you come to um, chapter 3 and it really deals with kind of an outlook on life. Uh, how you look at life and how in Christ uh, believers ought to have a new outlook. I brought a few pictures uh, from the world of sports about people that are, are looking at things. And so the first one here uh, is from December 23rd uh, of 2023. How many remember this? Okay. How many are still bitter? Okay. Um, what was the ref's name? The umpire. Brad. Brad. Uh, isn't it amazing that we know that? Okay. I'll ask you Bible questions about people. Uh, we don't know that. But Brad Allen, he's the guy. And, uh, and you look at him. Hey, where was he looking? Was he looking at uh, Decker or, you know, at the, the other guy coming in? Here's another one for us. 
uh, from June of uh, 2010. Uh, how many remember this? Comerica Park, Detroit Tigers. Uh, they call it uh, the 28-out perfect game. Because uh, Galarraga threw a perfect game. The last out of the game, the umpire missed the call. And uh, who remembers the umpire's name? Um, not Matt Joyce, Jim Joyce. But it's really sad that you know that. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but Jim Joyce, hey, I, I know Jim. Jim is one of the best umps there ever was. And the way Jim handled that and the Tigers was amazing. And if you don't know the story, go check it out. But here, a guy who threw a perfect game, this was before replay, uh, threw a perfect game. I think there's been like 25 of them in the history of the game. Uh, got denied it because the ump made a bad call. And we said, what are you looking at? Uh, one more from the world of sports. How many remember this from the summer of 2012? How many remember that? Do you? Who did that? Nope. That was me. <laughs> that was me taking a cart uh, off the path through the little guardrail because I did this back into the basket, pulled it and off. Where's Casey? Is Casey in here? He won't ever let me drive a cart at Boyne. But took it off the road. Why? Because of where I was looking. And so Colossians 3 uh, brings us to the point of uh, where are you looking? Uh, and as a Christian, where we look ought to be new and different than before we were a Christian. And ought to be different from those around us who are not Christians. So there, there are three areas that he talks about here where we are to look. And the first is an upward look. As believers in Christ, we are to have an upward look. Uh, look with me here in uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read uh, those verses to us. So it says, if, and let me just stop right there. I'm not going to edit the Bible but uh, in the Greek language, which this was written, uh, they would have four different ways to use the word if. The two more notable ones were if and it's true, or if and it's not true. Uh, this one here is that first one, if and it is true. So we almost could put in there in our language the word since, okay? So I'm going to read it that way. Since. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. There's our upward look. Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are what? Above. Upward look. Um, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ or in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. And so in those four verses, uh, he starts the chapter out really where it needs to start. We ought to have every day in life an upward look. So what does that mean? Uh, it means that we're looking toward heaven and that we're looking toward the return of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we're so heavenly minded that we're no longer any earthly good. It does not mean that. But it means our upward look 
is not just about a destination of heaven, but it really provides us a motivation in life. And so when you and I look toward heaven, remember heaven, think about heaven, think about the return of Christ, it helps us motivate to live our lives the right way. Now, don't raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. But ask, ask yourself the question, how often during a day do you think about heaven and do you think about the return of Christ? Uh, those verses tell us you ought to be doing that, like every day. At some point, reflect on that. When do we tend to think about heaven? At a what? A funeral. And it's saying, don't, just, don't save it for then. Make it a daily practice to be thinking about the hope we have in heaven and one day the return of Christ. Amen? And that's what it's telling us to do there. Uh, if you note, it says three times. Uh, in verse 1, raised with Christ. Uh, down in verse 3, hidden with Christ. And then in verse 4, uh, appear with him. So the word with is used in three critical phrases there. What does the word with uh, denote to us? It really is the idea of identification. I'm going to identify with Christ and his home in my daily life, and it's going to change the way I look at life and how I live. So the word with really gives identification. Uh, I've never had the shirt. I've seen them at times. You ever see the T-shirt? couple walking and maybe the guy's got the t-shirt and it's got an arrow says I'm with her okay uh, or something like that um, and and it's identifying I'm walking with this person and guys and gals and uh, men and women that's what it's saying there we are to identify with Christ uh, three ways it mentions the first and I'm actually going to start with the one that's listed second but it says that we're hidden with him uh, and that's identifying with him in his death, his crucifixion. Uh, we sang about it. Uh, because of what Christ did on the cross, uh, the penalty of sin has been removed from our lives. And uh, the idea of where it says being hidden with Christ, it's not talking about keeping it a secret. But something that is hidden is a treasure. Uh, it's something that's put away safely. It's secure. Uh, it's an idea of satisfaction. And so we ought to go through life thinking about Christ appearing, our home in heaven, and identifying with him in his crucifixion. Uh, the second one that's mentioned, and it's the first one in the passage, is identifying with him in his resurrection. Uh, it's said there in verse 3, raised with Christ, uh, seek the things that are above, where he is seated at the right hand. You know what we ought to think about? Because of Christ rising from the dead, because of the resurrection, I got a home in heaven, and he's going to appear one day, and I'm going to be thrilled to see him. That ought to motivate me in life to live a certain way. It says there in that uh, verse that uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That phrase is used nine times in the Bible, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so what does that mean? Well, probably two thoughts. 
when you sit down at the end of the day, what does it mean? Your work is what? Finished or complete. And that's what it means. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. Three days later, it rose from the dead and then ascended back to heaven. He's seated because his work on earth is completed. And then also to be seated uh, at the right hand uh, in a monarchy and the ruler uh, idea of a king. The one seated at the right hand has the authority of the, the ruler or the king. And so it's picturing that as well. And that ought to be a, a thought uh, that we think about on a daily basis. Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, one day to return. Now, this is interesting for me anyway. There's one place in the Bible where it doesn't say he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but it says he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Anyone know where that is? Tickets to the Lions game tonight. Now, I, didn't, I don't have them, and I'm not getting them. Um, but uh, So there's one place in the New Testament. Let me ask you, let's say you're watching the game tonight at home. What's going to make you stand up? And let's eliminate a few things. I'm not talking bathroom break. I'm not talking uh, raid the fridge. And I'm not talking a bad call, okay? Or something good. What gets you up off your chair when you're at home? It also makes the dog bark often. Someone knocking at your door. You get up. You stand up. And the place in the Bible where it talks about Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father instead of sitting at the right hand of the Father, is in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is martyred for his faith. And the second to last statement he makes before he goes to heaven is he says, I saw the heavens open, and I saw one standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, it's not conclusive. But I sure like to think and look at it. You know what Jesus does when a believer dies and goes to heaven? He stands up to welcome them. And if you know Christ is your Savior, when that day comes for you or for me, you're going to show up in heaven, guess who's going to stand up to greet you? Christ. And folks, that ought to be a hope to us. And so to have an upward look, and then the last uh, identifying statement made here with Christ, it says um, uh, that we'll be identified with him uh, in his glorification. Uh, in heaven we'll have a new body. In heaven there'll be no more tears, no more sickness, no sin. And it will be a different place than what we live and how we experience uh, life here on earth. It says to appear with him in glory. And that's what uh, Paul starts this chapter out with. If you want to live a, a daily life, if you want your behavior to be in line with Christ, it starts where you're looking. And your first look in mind ought to be upward to Christ. And that's what he's saying as he starts this chapter out. Then there's a long section, verses 5 through 17, of a second look that we need to have. So I'm not only looking upward, 
But in this next paragraph, he's going to talk about, you know what I need to do? I need to look inward. And, uh, and that's what verses 5 uh, down through verse 17 uh, speak about. And I'm, I didn't put all the verses on the screen, but I'm going to read them. And if you have a Bible, follow along. And then a few of the verses uh, will be up on the screen. So, uh, look inward. Now, you cannot trust yourself to do that. Because I know if I look inward at my life, guess what? It looks great. I was always right. It wasn't my fault. And so if you're going to trust yourself to look inward at your own life, uh, you're going to have a problem. What does the Bible say? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all, and what? Who can know it? I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt every time. And so I can't look inward on my own. And so there are three roles you need added in to help. And I'm going to give the three to you. Here's the first one. You need a mortician. Okay? You need someone to spiritually help you see that before Christ, uh, you were dead, and the things that you brought that are sinful into a relationship with Christ need to die. In fact, in uh, verse number... Five, uh, my Bible says, put to death. The King James, you know what it says? Mortify. That's the word that's used. Mortify. Any morticians in the crowd today? Uh, a mortician looks at a dead body and identifies it, prepares it, uh, and, and makes it look presentable. And that's what we need uh, if we're going to look at our own lives. Hey, what in my life Needs to die. Needs to be done away with. Uh, needs to get rid of. And so here's what he says in this first paragraph. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. And covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. And so it's a great passage. Don't be living in sin, but instead be dead to sin. A verse that was quoted during the worship set, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's what it's talking about there. And so I need a mortician to look at my life and remind me, hey, that old stuff, that sin, I need to be dead to it. And, uh, and that's what he's saying there. That's the type of inward look the Bible talks about. Here's the second one. In the next paragraph, uh, uh, if you have a Bible you like to mark in your Bible, in uh, verse number 8, it says, but now you must put them all away. And that's a phrase that means uh, take off your clothes. And I'm not talking about getting naked, but it's saying at the end of the day, you take off your dirty clothes. That's the idea. And then if you look down in verse uh, 12, it says put on then. And that's the idea of putting on a clean set of clothes. 
And so when we need a new set of clothes, who do we go to? A tailor. So you need a mortician, but you need a tailor. Someone to help you dress right. There's an old book. I don't even know it's still out anymore. Anyone ever get the book, Dress for Success? Anyone remember that book? Uh, I remember I got it years ago. And, um, and that's talking about here. Dress to prosper as a Christian. Dress to represent Christ. And note, it doesn't say put on some things over your old stuff. It's saying take off the old, the dirty, and put on the new. And I love that picture of a tailor. You're going to get a new set of clothes. And the clothes, you're going to be dressed, hopefully, to represent Christ in the world. There's a verse in Isaiah Chapter 61, verse 10, says this. I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. If you're a believer, uh, you need to take an inward look. I do. And say, hey, am I dressed right? I need to put on the right clothes to represent Christ. And he gives a list. Uh, Let me read the first paragraph. Here's what we're to take off. He says, uh, but now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, uh, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek uh, nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And every believer needs to put on a new set of clothes. Take off the old, put on the new. So here's the new set of clothes he talks about uh, in the passage here. He says this, uh, put on then, as, God chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and I was going to list several things. And I'm just going to touch on them each briefly. First one, compassionate hearts. That's part of the new clothing for the believer. Uh, the, the King James uh, uses a great term for it. Uh, anyone know what it is? Anyone have a King James version with you? Bowels of mercy. Say, so what's bowels of mercy? Uh, the Greeks thought that the seat of the emotions was like in the pit of your stomach. You ever say something like, oh, I got the butterflies, or I'm nervous, or, man, that was like a gut punch? And that's what it means. It means at the very center of your emotions, a believer's going to have that. They're going to look at people that are hurting, people are without Christ, people struggling, and they are going to be moved. That's the idea. A church is going to have compassion for the people outside of it in the community and around the world. Uh, I love several, a few times when it talks about Jesus seeing the crowds of Israel, uh, the sheep without a shepherd as he designated them. Uh, it says on a couple of occasions, he was moved to compassion when he saw. And, uh, and so we are to make sure that that's part of our life. I need to look and ask myself, 
How compassionate uh, am I? Then it says, uh, put on uh, uh, compassionate hearts. Then it uses the word kindness. Being helpful. Uh, being supportive. Helping someone along. Uh, there's a great illustration of what that looks like. And so let's pretend uh, I'm, I'm right here, and I forgot your name. Henry, come on up. And so let's say, Henry, just stand there facing me if you would. So let's say I'm on a, a, a little path way up on a cliff, and there you drop off and you die, and the steps aren't there, so you don't get that help. Okay, you fall, you die too. And, um, but there it is. And the wall is right here. So the path is this big. And let's say Henry's walking this way and I'm walking that way. And I want to get to my destination and he wants to get to his destination. And so walk toward me a little bit, Henry. And so now we're at an impasse. So what do you do? Kindness, a couple things could happen. Uh, we could wrestle and throw one another off. You know, we could try that. Uh, we could each turn around and go back to where we came from and give up. Or one person can do what? Lay down. And the other person can step over him. Step on him. And I'm not talking here about abuse. I'm not talking about an unhealthy relationship. But I am talking about the ideas. I'm willing to lay down and let the other person pass over me. That's the idea of kindness. Sometimes when I do this, uh, I'll bring up a child. And I'll actually lay down and let them walk over me. Henry, that ain't happening here today. So, But thanks. Hey, give Henry a hand for helping out. But that's the idea of kindness. Hey, I don't have them my way. And I can let someone else go first, even if it may hurt me a little bit. Uh, then it says uh, humility. Uh, again, the King James uses a great phrase humbleness of mind so it starts up here on how i think about myself and i'll be humble and and that's your decision to make uh humility is something you develop and we are to work at and we never get to the point of being proud that we're humble by the way okay you know i'm, I'm thinking about writing a book called the 10 most humblest people in the world and how i taught the other nine I'm kidding. But uh, we don't get proud about it. But we teach ourselves to be humble. A good friend of mine had a great ministry with the Detroit Lions for years is Dave Wilson. Uh, maybe some of you hear Dave and his wife Ann on the radio. And Dave um, would travel with the Lions anytime they played on the road. And uh, other than, uh, not like baseball, baseball they're on the road for seven, eight, ten days. Uh, football, they fly to wherever they're going to play, usually on Saturday, uh, spend the night, play the game Sunday, and wherever it is, they're on a plane coming back home Sunday night. So uh, Dave would be in the, the clubhouse, the locker room there, after games, and uh, he'd talk to guys, but basically he was just hanging out and uh, in a corner, you know, and talk to guys as they wanted to talk, you know, wait, waiting to get on the bus to go to the airport, get on the plane. And uh, Dave told me, one of the, the clubhouse attendants uh, he, they'd always kind of rubbed each other. You know, he didn't really like Dave being around. And uh, after a game on the road, um, the players would come in, take off their uniforms, 
uh, their undergarments, I mean, everything you can think of, and they would throw them in these laundry bins. And then uh, the clubhouse attendant would sort them out, handling all the dirty stuff, you know, and, and get it ready, packed up to go home to launder it. Um, and uh, so Dave, you know, is watching this. And at one point, God really put on Dave's heart, you know, I'm standing here doing nothing. Here's this clubhouse attendant that, you know, we really haven't hit it off. And so Dave walked over and started helping sort the dirty laundry. Said it changed their relationship. Because he was humble enough to say, and, and made himself humble enough, I'm going to serve this guy who we've not always gotten along with. That's the idea of humility. And as believers, we're to put that on and we're to have that. And then uh, after humility, um, it says, uh, let me get my slide here, uh, meekness. Meekness is power under control. That's what it means. It doesn't mean uh, being a, a weak. It means being strong, being powerful, but it's under control. Uh, I don't uh, fly off the handle. I don't go crazy over stuff. Power under control. And then patience, uh, a word that means long-suffering. And I love it because it's the word that is used of God toward us uh, in Second Peter chapter 3 where it says God is long-suffering toward us, not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we have patience toward others. So, uh, we need a mortician, we need a tailor to make sure we're putting on the right clothes. And, and note this, the last part of that paragraph uh, uses the phrase one another. Uh, it says um, uh, uh, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving. Uh, and then it talks about uh, as Christ has forgiven us. Uh, do you know what we like to do? Don't we like to check out what other people are wearing and we can become judgmental about it? We're checking out their clothing and what it's saying here is don't do that. You know, let them be dressed how they're being dressed and how they're growing in Christ and be forgiving and bearing with one another. Keep a unity among the believers and worry about what you're wearing and make sure you're wearing the things uh, that Christ has said. I'm not a big fan. I don't watch him. Uh, but I think a week or two ago, weren't the Golden Globes on? And uh, in March, don't we have the Academy Awards? And I don't know the last time I ever sat down and watched either one. But I love, usually a day or two after, I'll get a little thing on my uh, computer screen about the best and the what? Worst dressed people. And I usually flip on that, especially the worst. I want to see. And, um, and what do they shout when people walk down the red carpet? Who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Folks, that's exactly what that passage is saying. Hey, who are you wearing? And our answer ought to be what? I'm wearing Christ. That's who I want to wear. So, uh, Mortician and Taylor. And here's the last one. To properly look at ourselves, uh, it says this, uh, you need an umpire. And here's what it says in verse uh, 15 through 17, and I think uh, some of these will be on the screen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule there is the word that means to arbitrate. 
It means to umpire. That's exactly what it means. I need an umpire in my life to call safe or out, foul or fair, uh, good catch or incomplete. I need and you need that in your life. Uh, it'd be great to play a sport where I can make all the calls I want. Uh, I'd win every time, but that's not going to help me. And so you need an umpire. And here's who the ump or what the ump is. Look what it says in the next verse. Uh, let the word of God dwell in you richly. You know what the, uh, the um, we, here's our ump? And we're to apply it to our life. Here's the umpire that we need. And so we are called uh, to look inwardly, but we're not to do it on our own. We need to do it with a view of a mortician, a tailor, and then here, an umpire. Here's a picture on the screen uh, from the 2018 uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Uh, I think it's going to come up. Maybe not. Do we have that or not? So there's a great picture. Let me describe it to you. Uh, of uh, a group of umpires at the 2018 baseball game, the All-Star Game, and right before the first pitch, these six umps are at home plate, arms around each other, praying together. The crew chief was Ted Barrett. Ted is now retired. Uh, Ted was a strong believer in the game. Ted is an ordained minister. Uh, Ted was a sparring boxer for Evander Holyfield back in the day. Don't mess with Ted. Um, but uh, Ted said, you know what? We're the umps. We're going to pray together before the game. He would do that not just the All-Star game, but all his games if his crew wanted to. And that's what it's saying here. I needed to go to the Word of God prayerfully, and I need to say, okay, I want the Word of God to be the umpire in my life. And then the final section here. Uh, so I look uh, upward. Uh, we're told to look inward. And in the last section here, uh, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, it talks about look outward. I need to look at people around me. And I'm not going to read through the whole passage, and we don't have time to talk about all the relationships, but it talks specifically about the relationship of husband and wife. It talks about the relationship of uh, parents and children, and it talks about the relationship of uh, bond servants and masters. And I want to say a quick word about that last one in particular. Uh, different cultures, slavery has looked different over the years. Let's be very clear. Slavery, where you're enslaving other people against their will, however it looks, is wrong. Okay? And so I'm not making any case to support that type of thing. Uh, we might liken it to an employer-employee relationship, how some of the principles would apply. And so we're to have an inward look. And here's what it says about it. Uh, I'm not to be worried about my position as much I, as I am the relationship. And so whether it's the husband, wife, parents and children, or uh, bond servant and master, or employer, employee, I'm to look at not my position, but the relationship. And I want the best for the other person. And it says this. Uh, I'll read the last uh, part of verse number, um, uh, what is it here, 24. You are serving 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the key to these relationships. It's not the other person I'm serving first and foremost. It starts with serving Christ in it. And uh, we're to have that type of outward look to others. And so that's Colossians 3. If I practically want to live out my Christian faith, I have an upward look toward Christ. I have the right inward look toward my own life and heart. And then I have an outward look toward others. Let me wrap up with uh, telling you this story. Um, Jim Joyce, who uh, we talked about a few minutes ago, the umpire who blew the call at Comerica Park uh, back in 2010. Uh, Jim, uh, you go to Wikipedia or wherever, that is mentioned in there about Jim all the time. You know what's not mentioned about Jim? It's something that happened in August of 2012. He was still umping. Uh, They were in Phoenix uh, to ump a game there. It was his day to have home plate. So he'd be umping behind the home plate. Uh, Umpires usually get to the ballpark 90 minutes, two hours before a game. Love a meal. They usually play some cards uh, before they go out in the field. And so Jim and his crew were coming into uh, the field there. And most of the umpire locker rooms are on the ground level. So I take an elevator down, go through the corridor. And it's usually the corridor where they're moving uh, uh, food, uh, all sort of merchandise to take them upstairs for the game. And so it's kind of a work area service level. And uh, as Jim got off the elevator and started going to the umpire's locker room, there was a woman who had collapsed, uh, a woman by the name of Jane Powers. And uh, Jim, who had taken CPR in high school, went right over and uh, worked, gave her CPR. She wasn't breathing. And did it until uh, the uh, EMS came. And they shocked her once, still no breathing. Shocked her a second time, she started breathing again. Of course, got her in the uh, ambulance, took her off. Uh, Jim went about his day, did the, uh, the umping that day. And um, uh, the next day, Jim and his wife, Kay, went to visit that woman in the hospital. Uh, let me ask you a question. When that woman thinks of Jim Joyce, do you think she thinks of the blown call at Comerica Park in 2010? Or do you think about do you think she thinks about what happened in the corridor service level Chase Field in 2012? Uh, people that we touch with our lives, that's what they're going to remember. How did we touch their life? When Jim and Kay visited uh, the woman uh, Jane, uh, here's what she said. She said, "I remember your voice," because as he was over her giving her CPR. He was saying, come back to life. Uh, I didn't know this. He was using the old Bee Gees song, Staying Alive, which I guess is, uh, matches the beat. Maybe some of you know that. I didn't know that. And so I remembered your voice. And folks, if we have the right look outward toward others, one day in heaven, uh, I think people say, I remember your voice. I remember what you did. And so Colossians 3 really deals with an outlook on life. Upward look to Christ, uh, inward look, a legit look at ourselves, and then an outward look toward others. Father, thanks for um, the time together in your word and for your teaching it to us. And I pray that uh, as we uh, believe that Christ is complete, uh, we're complete in Christ, uh, help us to have a completely new way that we look at and go through life. Uh, One that makes a difference in the world, uh, one that has the right look 
upward, inward, and outward. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.